This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to what is an unusual edition of Radio Parallax. For the first time since 2002, we will not today be taking part in a Pledge Drive program. KDVS hosts an annual Pledge Drive week, and from 2003 through 2015, we did our part to help raise funds during our hour. We, however, are not doing so this year. We said goodbye to our good friends at KDVS a few weeks back and are now confining our broadcasting to podcasts and also appearances on KZFR and Chico. As mentioned on this program previously and also on our blogs on our website at radioparallax.com, we received nothing from the KDVS pledge drive and never did. The production of this program, which ran to at least $10,000 per year, was not something we made any attempt to recoup from the station. So one might well consider that over 14 years, we made a $140,000 contribution to KDVS. Oh, and that's before we raised the funds during our pledge drive and also made contributions ourselves to many of our fellow DJs. So as we go forward, we note that, well, we still need funds and we very much need your help but the way we think we're going to approach it is to ask you to make donations. We are putting together a PayPal site, which is either operational now or it will be very shortly, and we would ask you to make your contribution there. That is, if you wish to support this program in particular. KDVS still has great programming, always has, and if you want to make a contribution over there, well, you know, we're not saying you shouldn't do it, You should do it if you want to support the station. But if you want to support us, well, we're now divorced. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're talking PayPal. We'll hopefully, like I say, have that button up today. And again, we would ask you to make payments there. We're going to be hitting you up probably every week from this point forward, sad to note. We hate to think of ourselves as a commercial radio program, but, well, that's just the reality of it. We're going to ask for your help every week from now on. We won't beat you up with it, but we will make a request. And since we are kicking off a new era of quote-unquote commercial broadcasting, today's program will do something we've never done before, which is to talk frankly and directly about the other enterprise that yours truly operates, which is Doctors Clinic for Men. We treat erectile dysfunction. So the approach we're going to use today is, in our first segment, do the things we normally like to do. In our second segment, we're going to reprise the chat we had with author Pope Brock several years back. It was, in fact, on August 20th in the year 2009 that we spoke with author Brock about his book, Charlatan, America's Most Dangerous Huckster, The Man Who Pursued Him, and The Age of Flimflam. This is the story of the infamous John R. Brinkley. He's better known to history as Goat Gland Brinkley because by promoting a phony baloney surgical method of implanting bits of goat testicle in men's scrotums, he claimed that he could cure impotence as it was then known. We now refer to it, of course, as erectile dysfunction. It is one hell of a story, which we will air in our second segment today.
And of course, it's one thing to offer social criticism. And there's a lot to criticize about the career of Goat Glenn Brinkley. But the question arises, can you offer something better than criticism? Well, in this case, it turns out we definitely can. And in our third segment today, we're going to do an update of where things stand today in 2016. And in doing so, we will be promoting subtly or not so subtly what this correspondent does, which is treat ED. But in fact, under the current rules of the game, this is allowed. So we're going to do it, and I think you're going to enjoy it. I hope so. All right, without much further ado, let us start the program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date in question is the 21st of April, and it was on April 21st in 1836 that Texas won its independence from Mexico in the Battle of San Jacinto, in which Sam Houston's Texas militia surprises and routes the Mexican army and captures General Santa Ana. And in a brilliant political and military move, they let him go so that he might continue his hapless mismanagement of the Mexican Republic. On April 21st in 1953, aides of U.S. Senator Joseph McCarthy, and I believe that includes Roy Cohn, demanded that more than 30,000 books by pro-communist writers be removed from the United States Information Service Libraries overseas. Yeah, that definitely was Cohn and his boyfriend, Shine. The evil Mr. Cohn would resurface in the 1970s, squiring around a new face in the New York scene, a young guy named Donnie Trump. On April 21st in 1956, Elvis Presley hit the number one spot on the Billboard charts for the first time with Heartbreak Hotel. And on April 21st in 1962, America's first revolving restaurant, Top of the Needle, in Seattle, Washington, opened with a flip of a remote control switch operated in Palm Beach, Florida by President John F. Kennedy. Three months later, this correspondent as a small boy visited the top of the Space Needle. Pretty cool view, as I recall, but we didn't have lunch because, well, you just couldn't get a table. Our quote of the day comes from Bertrand Russell, who once said, The greatest challenge to any thinker is stating the problem in a way that will allow a solution. There's wisdom in that. Our quote of the day comes from novelist Louise Renison, who said, Everyone is so obsessed with themselves nowadays that they have no time for me. We know what you mean, Louise. All right, for our jokes of the day, we have the writers of James Corden to thank. The Late Late Show noted a few days ago that Coachella was this weekend. And if you don't know what Coachella is, it's a festival where everyone goes to the desert and takes selfies. Corden noted on Tuesday, yesterday was also tax day. And there have been reports from Coachella that concert goers tried to file their taxes from a makeshift post office at the festival. Corden says, I, I really feel sorry for the performers because how bad does a band have to suck for people in the audience to go, you know, I'd better go do my taxes. Our stat of the day comes from the WashingtonPost.com. It notes that about one in six new HIV diagnoses in 2014, or 7,000 about of the 44,000 new cases, were among patients 50 and older. 
The Centers for Disease Control attributed that partly to the increased use of erectile dysfunction drugs. It also notes that women over 50 are not often in the habit of using condoms for safe sex. And for our anecdote of the week, we have this. Down in Peru, while they're headed for a presidential runoff, the center-right candidate Keiko Fujimori, age 40, whose father Alberto ruled the country as an authoritarian in the 1990s and is now sitting in prison, led in the first round with 38% of the vote. Fujimori has pledged not to pardon her father, who, was, who suspended the Constitution, disbanded Congress, and was eventually found guilty of running death squads. She will face the business-friendly Pedro Pablo Kuczynski, 77, who was prime minister in the mid-2000s and is trying to galvanize the significant anti-Fujimori sentiment in the country. This is something to think about when you ponder how screwed up our politics is. None of our current candidates has a father in prison for suspending the U.S. Constitution. All right, for our good news item of the week, we have the fact that Andrew Jackson has been demoted off the front of the $20 bill. He'll be replaced by abolitionist Harriet Tubman. For his part, Jackson apparently will be moved to the back of the bill. Evidently, the Republican Party initially suggested that Rosa Parks be put on the back of the bill, but thankfully cooler heads prevailed. And yes, that is a joke. All right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for ripoffs after a judge ruled that there was sufficient evidence to hold a trial on a lawsuit charging that Robert Plant and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin copied the opening of the band's iconic song, Stairway to Heaven, from a song by the little-known California band Spirit. So it happens that one of my patients is a former member of that great band, Spirit, And although I have not made this comparison myself, he just says, listen to them side by side. See if you can't figure out where Led Zeppelin got it. I know this. Some horse's ass took Spirit's great tune, Fresh Garbage, and uh, basically sampled it a few years back. I can't remember the name of the the jerks that did it or what the name of their new song was. But Mr. Mellon, why don't you dig up a copy of Fresh Garbage? I think it'll, it'll refresh some memories. Fresh Garbage, the song? Yes. As opposed to Fresh Garbage, the commodity. This reminds me of something else that's been stuck in my cross. Some other horse's ass out there decided to take the Munsters theme song and, quote, sample it and make their own hit. I don't know the name of the band. I don't know the name of the song. And even if I did, I wouldn't mention it just because I don't want to give them any publicity. But since it is such a great riff, I do wish you'd play a few, <laughs> a few bars from the Munsters theme, Mr. McMillan. How about at the end of the second? Good. Anyway, enough of that. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for outsourcing, with the, with the news that a line of Ivanka Trump-based scarves made in China were recalled due to 
burn risks. These accessories, which evidently sold for $68, were 100% rayon, which is considered highly flammable. They're also considered highly inflammable. Because oddly enough, in the English language, flammable and inflammable mean the same thing. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for politics as usual here in the state capital of California. With the news that last week, the son of a former California State Assembly speaker walked free from prison after serving less than six years for the stabbing death of a college student. Now, evidently, Esteban Nunez, age 27, was sentenced to six, 16 years in prison for the 2008 manslaughter death of a 22-year-old San Diego Mesa College student, Luis Santos, who was killed with a knife to the heart. A premeditated act by Esteban Nunez. But the reason he's not serving as full-time was that on his last day in office in 2011, then-Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, as a political favor to his buddy Esteban Nunez, the previously mentioned Assembly Speaker, commuted the younger Nunez's sentence to seven years, which dropped below six on the basis of Nunez's good behavior. Schwarzenegger later said, of course you help a friend. In 2015, a state appeals court upheld Schwarzenegger's right to commute the sentence, even though the justices called the move reprehensible and grossly unjust. Nunez will be under supervised parole for three years. Let's hope he's supervised well enough to not stab anybody else in the heart. Just saying. All right, here's a headline we don't understand. The Week magazine referred to the Panama Papers as noting that it was perhaps the dark side of capitalism. Now, it's true that a massive leak from the Panamanian law firm of Mossack Fonseca has revealed how the global elite hides untold billions of dollars in offshore tax havens. But my question is, how can you label that as capitalism? I mean, it turns out that the elites of all sorts of countries, which have various labels affixed to their socioeconomic system, are all taking part in moving money offshore. In fact, when the story broke a couple of weeks back, the Chinese government stepped in to censor news reports in their country because you can bet your ass a lot of Chinese officials are moving money into these shell corporations too. So my question is, when members of the Communist Party of the People's Republic of China are getting involved in this, is that still capitalism? I don't know. It certainly should be looked at and certainly should be stopped, but uh, who's going to do the stopping? And since the rest of today's program is going to be dealing mostly with the topic of erectile dysfunction and things surrounding it in one way or another, we have to pull this story off of the headline news, I think, and talk about how porn apparently is impacting young men's sex lives. Writing in Time Magazine, Belinda Luscombe noted that... Uh, Thanks to the internet, a generation of males has grown up with brains that have been virtually marinated in porn. That's her phrase. Explicit videos of sex acts of every imaginable kind, which they start viewing at the average age of 12, has led to a growing number of young men now saying that their porn diet has impaired their sexuality and led to performance issues in the bedroom. Or, quote, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, unquote. Note of this article, used to the Instant gratification and ever-changing novelty of porn videos, up to a third of men under the age of 40 have suffered erectile dysfunction when faced with a real-life woman. This apparently is backed up by several studies. I have to editorialize at this point that having seen the effect of the internet on 
let's say, 20-somethings. It seems to me that they have a lot of problems when they go out and face with real-life fill-in-the-blank. I mean, don't get me wrong. The Internet's great, but the Internet's the Internet. It's not the real world. I mean, you might be really, really good at using, uh, you know, video game machine guns to shoot the heads off of German shepherds. Or, you know, spend hours on Facebook, you know, mailing pictures of your lunch back and forth to your friends. This doesn't seem to translate very well into what we would call the real world. Now, we have to note we're not taking a big stand here against porn. Lots of people enjoy porn and they, you know, they do just fine. I'm sure in a lot of cases it does not ruin one's sex life. In fact, may put a little pizzazz back into it. We take the position that it might very often have a healthy, inspirational effect. But I have to laugh at what Rachel Kramer Bustle wrote in Salon.com, which was that the key to healthy porn consumption is educating young people that porn is fantasy and that real people have complex emotional and sexual needs. The Washington Post also sounded off on this topic, noting that college-age women have suffered diminished self-esteem partly from the, quote, unreal standards placed upon them by shaved porn starlets screeching in orgasmic pleasure, unquote. At any rate, as you might imagine, we're going to continue to follow this story of porn-induced erectile dysfunction. All right, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. When we come back, we're going to have, I guarantee, a fascinating look back at one of the great quacks in American history. (laughs) 